to today's episode of the Miso TV podcast. In today's episode, our guests are two patients who share with us their stories of diagnosis and treatment. They are interviewed by our own oncology nurse, Shannon Sinclair. Miso TV is a video program adapted to audio only for this podcast. It is produced by the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, a national 501c3 nonprofit organization. The Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation provides patient support and education services, funds peer-reviewed research, and advocates for increased funding of mesothelioma research. This season of programming is made possible with the generous support of our sponsors. They are MRHFM, Bellican Fox, Bristol Myers Squibb, Novacure, Merck, the Gorey Law Firm, and early Lucarelli, Sweeney, and Mysekoven. Visit CureMiso.org to learn more. Hi, thank you for joining us today on this episode of Miso TV. Uh, we're doing a little something different today, and we're going to have two patients on with us that are going to tell us a little bit about their own journey, their empowerment, um, advocating for themselves, and also sort of the um, process by which they achieved a second opinion um, and, and how they feel about that. So thank you for joining us, Andrew and Laura. Um, I'll start with you, Andrew. Um, so what led up to your diagnosis? Um, just kind of a brief background of, of how you got to where you are. Yeah, sounds great. Uh, thank you for having me on today. And it's nice to talk with you uh, via video, Shannon. So. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I'm uh, I'm 37. I'm based in Michigan. I had uh, you know prior to the last few months a pretty boring medical history. Um, so kind of entering December, I felt like I was in pretty good health. Uh, December of last year, um, and I had my third COVID booster shot. And within a few hours of having my booster shot, I started feeling some severe pain in my in my stomach. Um, so I kind of waited for a few days, hoping that would clear up. Uh, ended up actually going into the hospital pretty quickly thereafter. They thought maybe it was my gallbladder. Um, they spent uh, a lot of days really uh, giving my body a comprehensive look, um, you know, doing comprehensive uh, blood work, uh, looking at all of my organs. And a couple of days led into 25 days in the hospital between December and January. Um, and it felt like they weren't ever going to be able to kind of diagnose what was happening with me. And eventually they went in and they did uh, laparoscopic surgery uh, to take a look around. Uh, they found some things that they didn't like. So they ended up doing a, a much more comprehensive surgery. And um, then it was kind of a waiting game for the pathology to come back. Um, all along, they, you know, they had been searching for cancer. They'd been searching for, you know, pretty aggressive things. And there were no signs that, uh, that they could see of any of that. Um, so even when I was waiting on the pathology, I felt, you know, pretty, pretty good about, I guess, what would come out of that. And then uh, February 1st of this year, I met with my physician and the pathology had just come back and uh, he shared the, the news that I had peritoneal mesothelioma. Um, and so it was kind of a, that set off a big chain of events. It was a pretty, uh, pretty crazy 24 hours uh, right after that conversation. And then uh, things pretty quickly started falling into place after that. Um, so uh, yeah, he he had uh, he had had the foresight coming into that meeting with me 
uh, to share information about the, uh, you know, the, the foundation and to connect with you, Shannon, uh, just kind of blindly. And uh, that had, has really kind of been a guiding force for me uh, for the past, you know, five weeks uh, in terms of trying to get organized around the diagnosis, trying to understand it more and to really get a grasp of my, my options. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And then, Laura, I know, you know, you have a little bit of a different story because I know that you were living in Alaska. Um, so tell us about your journey and how that started for you. Well, thanks for having me, too. And um, I guess similar to Andrew, um, I'm in my early 40s and I was just very healthy, um, you know, going out skiing, doing everything. Um, I had been thinking about going in for fertility testing for many months, but I'm kind of a little anti-medical and all that organization stuff is kind of overwhelming to me. And finally, some friends were like, you got to get in. If you want to have kids, you know, you're in your early 40s, go. So I just went in for a fertility workup. And so she had me do some labs and go in for a transvaginal ultrasound. And I had never been in for one before, but I was like, this is taking a long time and there's a lot of clicking happening and a lot of typing. Um, so that showed that there were um, irregular masses. And so she, and my C, CA125 came back very high, which is like a ovarian cancer marker. And so we did an MRI and then I was flying home for Thanksgiving to Minnesota and they lined up um, a gynecologic oncologist meeting for me. So I did a CT when I got home with a full to see if, if there were masses because the MRI showed that there were masses outside of my ovary area. And then um, there were, but then there wasn't any with the CT up in the chest. Um, but she just said she knew it was cancer, but she didn't know what type. And she, I mean, she was said, said it was stage three C if it was ovarian. Um, and then she was going to look at from the slides she had, like if the images, if it was even possible to do surgery and she decided it would be. So I was in surgery within a week from meeting her. So I think the very first transvaginal was like November 8th and by December 7th, I was in surgery. So they removed like full hysterectomy, omentum, appendix. And then uh, it wasn't until four days after surgery, the day I was actually leaving the hospital, that I was told that it was um, probably mesothelioma, or, or that was what the pathology was showing from the tumor. And so she was very like, she wouldn't tell me any more about it. My sister was very concerned and like wanting answers, but she just said, you have to go find somebody else. Like, I can't give you any accurate information. So we were discharged with no information about who to contact, what to do, and then just scrambling to kind of get an appointment and try to see somebody before the holidays. So we did get an appointment within like about a week later. So we just kind of sat for a week with, you know, no, no real information before meeting a medical oncologist. Yeah, and so I guess um, for both of you, um, you kind of touched on this, but, you know, when you got that first diagnosis, Andrew, you know, what were your thoughts on that? Um, had you ever heard of mesothelioma? You know, was it even on your radar of anything that could be a possibility? 
No, I had heard of mesothelioma before, but I hadn't really understood kind of how rare it was, uh, what caused it, um, really uh, how it kind of differentiated from other types of cancer. Um, and uh, I, you know, we've, unfortunately, I think a lot of people um, are, you know, one or two connections away from someone who is battling a type of cancer. Um, and so, uh, unfortunately, that's way too common. <laughs> and uh, so I think we've all had maybe some degree of exposure to, to what that means um, for, for uh, immediate families and for networks. Um, and so I was definitely not expecting that um, when I met with my physician. And I was happy I happened to have a physician appointment that day because the results had actually been um, sent to me digitally via like my, my health link uh, where I could see all of that. And I think had I opened that uh, on my own, I would have been, uh, you know, really scared and really like, what does this mean? Um, and so it was nice that I guess my, uh, that first bit of information came from my physician who I had a relationship with. And then he had also spent that day trying to learn what that was as well. Uh, I mean, just because of its rarity and because it's so difficult to diagnose. Um, so he had some information to be able to share with me or he could answer at least a few of my questions. Um, you know, I switched gears pretty quickly uh, just to kind of take it matter-of-factly. I mean, it's a decision I don't think anybody wants to ever hear. And, um, you know, not knowing the, the consequences of that. Um, it, yeah, so I, I think, you know, you get scared initially, but it's like I lead towards, okay, I want to understand everything about it. You know, is it possible that this was misdiagnosed, like, what does this mean? Like in the spectrum of cancers, how bad is this one? Um, so I had a lot of questions. I still have a lot of questions, but um, thankfully, you know, I've had a pretty good uh, quick network of people that have been able to kind of guide me through some of that and answer some of those. Um, and so, yeah, it was definitely a really scary uh, first 24 hours. Uh, the hardest things for me, um, so I wanted to share with my partner in person, and uh, my, my father was a few states away, so I, I called him on the drive home and was just like, you know, this is kind of worst case scenario in terms of coming out of the hospital and, and what we had hoped to hear. Um, and I think those conversations were probably the most difficult, uh, just sharing with your loved ones and um, Absolutely. Seeing, seeing their reactions. Um, and uh, I don't know, once, once we got past that, it became more manageable. It was like, okay, here's what we're dealing with. Here's what we can do and uh, trying to get organized. And I know for you, Andrew, um, it's kind of a different story on your end as to how you found the foundation. Um, you know, your primary care physician was actually a very good advocate for you. So um, just tell us a little bit about that as well. Yeah, so I like I've been seeing him for, I don't know, 10 years. It's, you know, pretty much been physicals uh, each year, nothing too exciting. Um, but, uh, you know, we've got a pretty good uh, relationship, I would say. He's, he's just very... Uh, he's never very emotional and he's very like matter of fact about things, um, which I kind of appreciated from from a PCP. But um, he had some subscription uh, that uh, kind of guided him with some of the latest of, in terms of what was happening in medical advancements and who who was kind of leading the way in, in certain areas. And uh, it was through that subscription that, um, yeah, he had, I mean, one of the top things that he found was, you know, connect your patient with 
the foundation. And so that was his first step. I mean, he had no prior relationship with that, but he, and he kind of sent a blind email and was like, here's my patient's case. Um, can you help with that? And I mean, within, it was like within 12 hours, you had responded to him and laid out a ton of information in terms of, you know, here are some of the programs that are, you know, the most robust in dealing with this diagnosis. Um, and you had offered to, you know, help connect me with those programs and had talked about travel grants. And some of these, I mean, really took away a lot of the complications that, that I had and a lot of this uneasiness. And you really gave me some solid ground to, to stand on, which I'm tremendously thankful both for my physician and then for that quick response, because it, it was just an incredible aid um, very early on. Yes, it was definitely um, a different way of meeting somebody, but I appreciated uh, that he did that for you. That was, it was wonderful. Um, and then Laura, as far as you go, what did you feel, um, you know, when you first got the diagnosis? And then I know, um, you know, your, your connection of how you got to the foundation was also a little bit different. Um, and you really self-advocated for yourself um, as well as your sister was help, helping you. But, um, you know, talk a little bit about that and the, and the Miso TV episode that you watched um, and why you reached out. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, I was, I was thrown even before I found out it was Miso. Like I had to get like help from other people to just stop going to work, like make some appointments, go do the things like this is important. I think, you know, getting jolted out of uh, your just kind of daily life, like, oh, I'll make an appointment, but I don't have time right now. And it's just like, no, you need to do this. This is important. Um, so I was kind of already into the mindset of I need to take care of this. Um, and so when I got the diagnosis, I think I was already on the track of thinking I had cancer. So it wasn't as immediate um, and a scare like Andrew went through. Um, but we were just kind of fumbling in the dark. And um, we heard that it was well-differentiated um, malignant. And I was like, well, what does that mean? What, you know, like you're just trying to look and I had been encouraged to try to find some other people who were experiencing this. And I was hesitant because I was like, I don't know if I can handle more stories right now. Cause it's like already very heavy. Um, but I was like, I'm going to push through and do it. So I joined the Facebook group um, that was for a mes mesothelioma. And through that, I saw, I think, I mean, or I don't know if exactly was there where I found that meso TV that was about well differentiated papillary are these kind of different scenario kind of subsections of this disease. And I, my doctor had kind of told me, we're going to do immunotherapy. And my sister recognized I did not that he was just treating me as palliative care. Like, this is what we're going to do. He was seeking a second opinion. Um, but then when we got that second opinion, that's kind of when it was obvious to me that he hadn't believed that I, there was any chance that I could live. And he's like, oh, now we have the chance to do this chemotherapy. You know, there's a possibility that you could live. I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's definitely my goal. Um, so, and then the fact that like, he was kind of um, not even really aware of some of the tumor marker tests that we were requesting. Um, and then that the second opinion kind of became the first opinion and 
And I was like, I want two people who agree that this we're doing the right thing. If I'm going to do chemo, I want some reassurance. And that, that doctor that he had checked out or gotten the information from also had like a conflict of interest because, which I also learned through Meso TV that he was doing this clinical study and was kind of just giving me the same guideline for care as that. And I didn't feel like it was very personal, you know, and I wanted something for me. So we really, as soon as I saw that episode with Dr. Nash, I'm like, I want to know if, if I'm that type or not, because I'm not hearing this one word, if it's papillary or papillary. Um, and so I'm not sure if that's me. And so then on the end of those Miso TV, it gave a phone number. And I, and you know, there's so many people that are trying to get your money or do these different things. I'm like, I think it's nonprofit. And so just <laughs> after a few days, I took a gamble and called and, um, and I got to and yeah, that was amazing because it was the first time that I just felt like I just, it was a huge sigh of relief. It was like, I could tell, you know, right away you her I felt heard and I felt like I didn't have to justify why I was, you know, wanting to see this doctor. You were like, if that's who you want to see, I will get you, you know, a referral to them. And I just felt so supported and you followed up, you checked in with me again, you know, you checked up on them when we weren't really hearing back and you have stayed, you know, through like, you're still here. You're still supporting me. <laughs> Places I've tried to reach out and it's just kind of like an empty, you know, hole. And it's, um, and you're also just so, I think I really felt a sigh of relief once you kind of got back to me about Dr. Nash's office, or you knew that you could just reach him easily. I'm like, she's well-connected, like, and somebody else said it well, it's like, you have that kind of big picture view of what's going on in Miso and can make those connections so that we on this, you know, very new and small, Absolutely. just really appreciate. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad that both of you felt very heard and that, um, you know, that we cared and that we wanted to get you to somebody that could definitely help you. And you're um, such an example of like being a good advocate too, you know, just like, this is what you want. You are the one making the decisions, you know, they're there. Just good recommendations and help. Good. Wonderful. Um, Andrew, I know that with your second opinions, um, you know, We've done a few where you've seen a medical oncologist and a surgeon. Um, and so just talk a little bit about um, what has the process been like for you? Um, has there been some frustration? Has it moved quickly? Um, and what's made you stay the course? Yeah, so I would say from the onset, um, I, was, I was kind of keyed in very quickly of trying to get multiple opinions. So my hospital stays with uh, not being able to, to give me any answers. I felt like the hospital teams uh, did all of the things they were supposed to do, um, and yet they couldn't come up with an answer for what was going on. And so very kind of early on in my hospital stays, we had talked about, you know, if you aren't able to provide an answer, what are my options? Like, where can I go? Um, and so we had started, I mean, thinking about like Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic and some of the the bigger institutions kind of in, in my neighborhood a little bit um, at that point. So uh, by the time that I got the diagnosis, it was pretty clear that, um, you know, Grand Rapids, Michigan was not 
the central point for treating these things. Um, and there, there wasn't a lot of experience locally in that. Um, well, I think, you know, they, they excel in some other, uh, you, you know, medical points. Um, it was pretty clear that I needed to find expertise el elsewhere. And I had a lot of people kind of in my corner that were like, yeah, that's the right thing to do. Um, one of the things that I found really helpful, like early on, and has kind of been my process ever since is, uh, one, I ask a ton of questions, maybe too, too many questions for most people, but no one's, no one's made me feel that way. But, um, and I ask the same questions to multiple different people and I look for patterns. I look for, you know, variants of, you know, when you get different responses. Um, and um, so even with, uh, you know, seeking out kind of this expertise or, or people who are very familiar with, with this niche area of, of cancer, you know, I'm, I'm trying to ask the same question still and see how that, how those answers differ and what really resonates with me about, you know, uh, on a personal level, how am I connecting with the, the doctors and those teams? Um, how responsive are they? Do I feel like they're really in my corner, really trying to find a solution? And then also like, you know, where are, where is their expertise? Um, and those are really kind of tough things to, to um, you know, bring out. Um, and there's probably multiple right answers and probably multiple wrong answers too. But um, so far, I feel like that's been very, fairly effective and it's at least helped me make decisions along the way. Um, and uh, yeah, again, I mean, um, the foundation is, and Shannon, like you've kind of been an earpiece for me throughout and talking through some of this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to waste multiple teams' time. At the same time, this is my life that's, uh, you know, at, at risk here. And I want to make sure that I have the most information I can get um, to, to help make decisions. Um, and yeah, there's, and even just kind of interpreting, you know, what, what does epithelioid mean? You know, what, what malignancy, like it, a lot of, you know, that language was not in my common vocabulary. And it, it is becoming more common very quickly, but um, no, it's, it's been really helpful to have a multitude of voices that can kind of weigh in and, and help me digest a lot of that. Yeah, you've been a very good um, advocate for yourself. You've also been very good at doing um, good um, education with, you know, with getting education, looking things up, um, but kind of knowing what's what's good information and what's bad information, which is hard when you're <laughs> looking on the internet or, um, or, you know, trying to seek the answers yourself. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's scary, you know, whether you're looking at medical information or, you know, news or anything else. I mean, just being able to decipher the good from the bad. And, um, you, you know, I would say I'm, I'm, pretty good at kind of kind of doing that trying to, you're always going to find uh, especially with with like in the realm of cancer you're going to find success stories you're going to find worst case scenarios and unfortunately it's a lot of those out i mean some of the outliers that make that i mean that are reported on that are news stories um, and so they're not necessarily indicative of what um, what I could expect from from a journey. So, um, you know, you've really helped give me some good information. Um, and then I've also gotten that from both my physician, from my previous hospitalists. They're like, here's everything medical that we have on your diagnosis. And so, um, you know, there's also a little bit of Googling too, but it's taking some of that with a grain of salt. 
Um, and I think the videos too, I mean, getting a feel for the different personalities from the, the teams um, has, is huge. Uh, so, I mean, when you go into that consult with them, you already kind of have a feeling, you already have, feel like you know them a little bit. And, and um, so that's been helpful as well. Good, thank you. And Laura, I know for you, um, you know, we've had some ups and downs with your um, second opinions, but you have stayed the course. And ultimately, I think that you're definitely in the hands that you need to be in. So tell us a little bit about how that's gone for you. Um, so, yeah, when we did get the second opinion with Dr. Nash, we, we didn't meet with him first. We went with Dr. Offen, the medical oncologist. Um, and he, he said, you know, in order for us to review this, we want to see fresh CTs. Like you've been out of surgery now for a couple months and we, we want to see the pathology slides ourselves and not just read the report. And I was so excited because I had wanted fresh CTs and I kind of had to like pull that out of my local team to, to the, agree to that. I was like, I wanted to have these markers, you know, as we go along and I won't be able to see, you know, changes that are happening. So that was refreshing um, for me. And when we did do the CT, um, I did it here in Minnesota and they did the report and they sent um, the report to and slides to my local oncology. And, and I logged into their portal and read the report and it looked clear and good. And I was really happy, but I was like, okay, I haven't talked to a doctor yet. You know, I'll just hold for a second. And um, then my local uh, oncology team called and they said, oh, CTs look good, report's good, we're in a great spot. I had overnighted them at the request, you know, of, of Dr. Offen's office, the direct slides from the CT, and then I sent him the path or the report from the CT. And then uh, two days, I think a day or two after they had gotten everything, I got a wake up call that morning from the office of the surgeon, Dr. Nash, and I was like, oh, okay we're not in the best place. The surgeon is making like a same day appointment with me. So for later that day. So when we did meet with him um, later that night, we found out that there was a large tumor that was missed. It was probably missed in the first CT before I did surgery. It was missed in the surgery and it was missed on the CT after surgery. So, you know, I mean, he was very kind and he said they went in you know, with a gynecologic mindset, and they did what would be considered a full surgery for that. And, you know, they don't have the specialty to know maybe everything that they're seeing. But I mean, it was quite visible. I mean, it was a third of the size of my stomach on the side. And I mean, my local team had seen those slides. And they even I said there, there was a mass, you know, that was reported, and they reviewed it and did not see anything even told me that. So if I hadn't thought of the second opinion, I would be sitting here thinking all was good, you know, moving forward with almost nothing in my body. And as it is, you know, I'm leaving next week and we'll be doing surgery in two weeks um, to have that removed and then, you know, put in a port and be able to do IP chemo afterwards. So, yes, I'm so glad that you you know, I, I'm glad that you saw that Meso TV episode. I'm glad that you reached out and I'm glad that you stayed the course. Um, I know at first you weren't, you know, seeing Dr. Offen wasn't exactly what you wanted to do because he's a medical oncologist. 
Um, but it ended up that the opinion between him and Dr. Nash, because they collaborate so well together, that um, really made a difference for you. So I'm, I'm so happy that we got you in those hands and that you're, you're going to be going there and, and hopefully getting yourself the absolute best care that, that we can hope for you. So it's wonderful. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, I feel like I trust them. You know, I had wanted a second opinion on my first second opinion, but it's once you get to a certain point where you feel like these people know what they're talking about. They've seen this, they know it, you know, that's, I don't know, it gives you rest assurance. And I'm in a situation where I don't know when my insurance is going to run out. So it's like, I want to get moving and um, we really are. So that's yeah, it's, it's a light of hope when you make that connection with somebody and when they give you a plan um, and it's a plan that, you know, you, you can see, you can agree with um, and you can feel that um, they're very confident in it. And that, that helps make you confident in it as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that we got you there. Um, and then, you know, I just wanted, I know you guys have talked a lot about what the foundation has done for you. And I'm so happy that you guys were able to connect with us and find us. Um, but if there's, you know, any advice that you would give to a newly diagnosed patient that's maybe facing mesothelioma, what would it be, Andrew? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, it's easy to get overwhelmed by everything. And it's, um, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of goodness out there. There are a lot of good people out there. And even if your journey starts off, um, you know, pretty rough, which it seems like just because it's so hard to diagnose that a lot of these journeys, a lot of the people who, who talk about it, you know, have been through, you know, previous surgeries or, or months or, or years of kind of unknown and so they're usually, you know, in a spot that, you know, they're pretty frustrated or they feel, you know, not very confident in the system um, by the time that they receive this. There's, I mean, there's a lot of goodness out there that's, that's happening, especially getting keyed into some of these experts in this field. I mean, they really do give a lot of confidence about giving you the best shot to, to get through this. Um, so like a, a lot of the previous doctors that I had talked to locally and, and kind of, you know, throughout um, had initially given me like the reaction, like, oh my gosh, this is a death sentence pretty much. And then the first, uh, you know, medical oncologist that I talked to from one of these larger programs was very, uh, you know, calm about it and, and saw it very differently. And so, you know, I think it is really important to find people who specialize in, in this. Um, and yeah, I think you're super well connected. And so I would encourage anyone, regardless of your situation, it seems like there are opportunities out there to get connected to, you know, some of these um, experts in the field. And, and I would highly recommend that. Um, and then, yeah, don't, I mean, take Google with a grain of salt. Uh, <laughs> You know, my my um, my mental approach has just been focusing on things that I can control because there are so many things at this point that are out of my control. So, I mean, trying to you know gain energy, trying to eat healthy, trying to learn as much as I can. Those are things that you can do as a patient um, while you're waiting for hospital records to transfer, or you're waiting for appointments to kind of open up, or you're waiting for more information to come in. Waiting is really tough, but there are things that you can be doing you know, every day to, to kind of help position yourself in the best way. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, you know, things that you can do 
um, to help yourself along the way, keep yourself strong, um, and, and you know, keep your mental focus and also your physical focus so that when you are facing maybe another surgery or a certain amount of treatment, um, that you're kind of in, in the best mindset and physical set that you can be. Um, Lara, how about you? What, what would you say to somebody that's newly diagnosed and just starting the journey? Um, I guess first I would say don't be like me and be a teacher in Alaska because we have no access to social security, disability, or any support once we are, can't work anymore. So we have no safety net. Um, and even the people who aren't in the situation yet, if you're a homemaker or somebody at home, if you can work and, and earn at least $6,000 a year, you at least would be eligible for that disability um, support. So you are left with nothing. Um, I think really know that you make the decisions, you know, these doctors are here as recommend, you know, making recommendations and it's intimidating because they, you know, they do have a lot of knowledge and, um, but it's your decision at the end of the day and, and feel confident in that, you know, um, I think you need to believe in yourself and like feel good about whatever decision you're making um, because it does affect you and, and get people that like Andrew was talking about, feel you feel like they're invested in what's going to happen to you and you trust them i think that's huge and to also just get rest you know be kind to yourself um take breaks like i mean it's like a full-time job and beyond trying to navigate all this and figure it out and whatever you can delegate to other people you know look at what talents um the people have around you and if you can let people know and let people into this journey, like there are people who love you and want to help you. Um, and so, you know, don't be afraid of, of, of sharing. And like, I don't know, I think I came into this journey very meek. Like I always thought whatever, whatever I have is, you know, enough and I should never ask for anything, but I've really learned um, through my friend who has taught me to self-advocate and my sister and you like, I'm just getting stronger in my voice and feeling like it's okay if I want this or I need this, like it's okay to ask. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. You know, one of the things that I try to tell patients a lot is that it's okay to ask questions. Um, you should never think that, you know, you're wrong for questioning something or for asking what about a different approach or, um, you know, could, could we look into this? Um, you know, it's, it's always good to ask questions. Um, and it's always good to seek a second opinion. I know a lot of people fear that their local oncologist may take that as um, them overstepping their boundaries, um, but really the teams should all be here to work for the patients and, you know, for what's best for, for you guys. So I'm so glad that you said that, Lara. I remember you saying that to me because I had hesitation and you were like, any doctor who would, you know, feel that way, you do not want on your team anyway. So, I mean, all those comments just, yeah, really are powerful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we should all be here for you guys and not for anything else. So, um, well, thank you so much for coming with us today. And I love hearing your stories. I'm so glad that we were able to connect and help you. Um, and I can't wait to hear how the journey goes as you guys both are seeking and going to get your, you know, your second opinions and your surgeries and, and your treatment options. So um, I'm sure that we will be in touch. But thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate it.